Well, tonight we're going to start a series on the parables, and I do appreciate Dr. Churchill for allowing me to do this. He looks relaxed, doesn't he? Man, oh man, did he kick back this afternoon. Parables. Parables are uh, messages that Jesus has given us. We talk about an earthly message, an earthly story with a heavenly message is what a parable is all about. But I want to talk to you tonight about the party. These next, tonight included these next three sermons, all talk about celebrations. Celebrations. And don't want you to miss the party. Don't want anybody else to miss the party. And we want to talk about that tonight. Luke 15, 1 through 10, says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, we just praise you for who you are. Thank you so much for the joy that you've given us already in the, in the proclamation of your word through music. Thank you for these who are here tonight, for each and every one of us, Lord Jesus. May we have open hearts and ears to hear exactly what you want us to hear. And then grant that we would have the courage to act on it, whatever it is that you're asking us to do. Thank you, Father. Be with us tonight. What a privilege. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dr. Ron had a great message today on, on the ninth chapter of John and what a passage that is. But we see the religious leaders who are at a loss to figure out how things could happen without their approval. Look at chapter 15 when you see the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around Jesus to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, King James says murmured. You know, you hear this. Oh, look at him. The man welcomes sinners. It's bad enough that he welcomes sinners, but he eats with them. Did he have to eat with them? I mean, it's one thing to hobnob with these kind of people. Now, the Pharisees considered people who did not keep the law people of the earth. And they had a saying among the Pharisees that instead of there's joy in one person in heaven who repents there is joy in heaven over one person one sinner who is obliterated that was their thinking at that day and you know the longer I'm, I stay in the scriptures and I've been at it for a long time the less time I want to spend with Pharisees you know I really do I, I just have not a whole lot of time or patience anymore for Pharisees 
And yet I know that there's that, that bent, that proclivity, that, that temptation in all of us to be Pharisees at some point, legalists at some point. And we see uh, a counterposition here between Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, and the religious leaders. They're in opposition. You saw that today in chapter 9 of John. They couldn't understand how this blind man was healed by a man they considered a sinner. Why? Because he healed on the Sabbath. He healed the blind man on the Sabbath. That's not done. A man of God would not break the law of religious tradition in that form or fashion, they thought. So let's bring this man up. Who exactly is this man who healed you? And by what authority did he heal you? The blind man said, I, listen, I don't know. All I can tell you is I was blind and now I see. And that's it. And so as a result, which party would you rather spend time with? The Pharisees or Jesus? I mean, it's, to me it's a no-brainer. You know, I have come to realize over the years that Jesus did not come into this world to save religion or religious practice. Do you understand that? My dad, when I first went in the ministry, dad was uh, with civil service all of his life, federal government. And dad gave me a little plaque that I put on my desk that says, for God so loved the world that he didn't send a committee. <laughs> That'll sink in. It's true. My dad, being having worked with government agencies so long, he used to tell me, he said, a committee is a group of people that takes minutes and wastes hours, he said. And so we come with this religious pursuit or lack of it, and you see how it is positioned here in this scripture. Have you ever wondered what makes God smile? I think about that from time to time. What makes God smile? What really brings that smile to his spiritual face? Have you ever wondered what makes angels smile? And is it the same thing? The legalists certainly did not make God smile. Jesus did not come to redeem religious practices, religion, or ceremony. He came to redeem mankind, you and me. And so we see three characters in this drama. We see the lost. Here he told a parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. Now the interesting thing is, is that Jesus uh, talked about sheep so that the men and the boys in this audience could understand this particular parable illustration. He talked about the lost coin so the women and girls would understand the parable because he was interested in both sexes all people. So he talks about the sheep. And then he continues by saying, here is one who has a hundred sheep, this shepherd. And yet he loses one of them. Now for a shepherd to lose a sheep was a serious thing. Because it would come out of his paycheck, literally. Unless he could prove that that sheep died of illness or was attacked in some form or fashion. But he had to prove it. And so, here's this shepherd that had a hundred sheep. In those days, in Palestine, in that area, that region, they had common sheep pens. And it was not unusual for a shepherd to have other shepherd friends 
who would join their flocks into these common sheep pens and the shepherds would lay across the door. Jesus said in John 10, I am the door, I am the gate. By me, if any man shall enter in, he shall be saved. So this, this, this good shepherd, Jesus Christ, is our entry into heaven. But here is a sheep that wandered off. And this sheep wandered off through, perhaps through heedlessness. The, uh, Jesus said, my sheep know me and they hear my voice. In those days, a shepherd could call to his sheep and his sheep would, would follow him anywhere because they understood the shepherd's voice. They heard it. Perhaps this particular sheep listened no more to this particular shepherd's voice, just like some of us today. We once heard the shepherd, or maybe we, uh, we heard that the shepherd was calling us. Somebody told us but we just flat refused to listen to what it is that he had to say. Maybe this sheep was looking for greener pastures. There's rarely a week that goes by that I don't talk to somebody that says, you know, I'm just not ready for this. I'm not ready at all for for this experience. And, you know, when I finish having fun, then maybe I'll think about some of these spiritual things. Greener pastures. Maybe somebody gave them a better deal. Why don't we do this on Sunday instead of worshiping? There are greener pastures out there. You need to listen. And there's always the enemy that whispers in the other ear. There's something else better than what you're doing. Maybe there are greener pastures. Maybe somebody just just got to the point, as Brother Ron said, where you had so many illnesses or crises, you get to that point where you say, there's got to be something better than following Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to stray out and find it. And so the sheep finds its way. Sometimes it's just through that little nibbling away from the pen. Sometimes we just play with these things. We see a little greener grass somewhere and we we follow it, whatever that might be. And so we just nibble our way away from the fold and before long we're lost. We don't even realize we're lost sometimes. Sometimes we're just out there so far that we haven't realized how far we've strayed, but we've done it an inch at a time. And so, there are those like these Pharisees who do not know they are lost. Billy Graham made statements several times. He said some of the greatest uh, prospects are in the pews of churches. There are people that are on the rolls. There are people that that are members of Sunday schools or teachers or whatever the case might be, that it has gotten so mundane, so routine, that they don't even realize how far away from the shepherd that they have strayed. It happens. I remember hearing the testimony. I was telling Mary Jo this afternoon. I won't mention his name, but an evangelist that when I was a youth pastor, we took, we, we almost filled up a football stadium with people ready to hear this particular evangelist. And later on, he wrote that, I don't even think that I was saved during those years. It was just something that I was good at, he said. And so, it's easy to be a Pharisee. And we see these Pharisees who just kind of look down their nose at these common people. We find ourselves in this legalism, this Pharisaic attitude from time to time because we always see people that we really don't want to associate with. I mean, there were tax collectors. Brother Jim, who wants to be around a tax collector? 
you know. And in those days, it was horrible. Melody raised her hand, I pray. <laughs> Tax collectors in those days were horrible people because they were usually Jewish people who, who were born and raised with these people within their community, and yet they would bid with the Roman government for their territories. And they would extract as much as they possibly could because they knew they had to give Rome a certain amount that they agreed to in their bid process. And yet anything over and above they could keep. And so when Levi joined the ranks of the disciples, you know he wasn't well received at first. I mean, look at Zacchaeus. He was up a tree for a number of reasons. And here we are. The publicans, the tax collectors, and other sinners. We look at other people and we think, well, we look at their color, we look at their social background, we look at where they live, we look at how they dress, we look at how their fashion is, do they wear the right labels or not, do they spend time with the right people, do they say the right language. Clarence Jordan translated the New Testament into what he called the cotton patch version because he dealt with a lot of cotton patch laborers in, in the cotton fields. And he used their vernacular. Boy, he came under a lot of fire when, when he put that translation of the New Testament out in common language. I remember uh, when I was my first pastorate out in the countryside of Kentucky. I had come to a church field, and they were having, back in the 70s, they were having this big evangelistic uh, push and trying to put good news for modern man. Remember that? Today's English version? Well, about the year before I got to that particular church, a number of church leaders, the the New Testament had been distributed to every house, trailer, farm, everything in the community. And yet these church leaders said because it wasn't the King James Version, they went house to house and gathered these and burned them in the community. And sometimes we, in our own little legalistic form and fashion, just want, we have a model in our own mind about what a true Christian looks like, and if somebody strays from that model, we have very little to do with them. Sometimes we're like the sheep. We stray away. We, we just nibble ourselves away from the master. We don't realize that we're lost from the fold until we're out there, and all of a sudden we realize, I'm not sure how to get back home. Then there's this coin. In those days, it was very important for a woman to have these ten little drachmas, these coins, on her frontlet, or sometimes they wore them as necklaces. And these frontlets were literally called uh, samites, and they were worn across the frontlet to prove that a woman had been betrothed or was married. And it was important to them to have these ten little coins across the frontlet of their foreheads. And in those days, the houses, usually the one-room Palestinian houses, were without windows. They were very dark. They had a small door opening. But their houses were mud or dirt, and they were covered with straw. And so she had to light a lantern. She had to light a lamp to give herself light and begin to sweep the floor frantically to look for that one coin because she did not want it 
to be lost. She did not want the symbol that maybe there was a broken relationship or maybe she was irresponsible. And of course she told other wives and housewives as well, lift me up in prayer. I have lost this thing. I don't know what to do. She was not careless. The coin meant everything. She wanted them to know. Well, to be lost literally means to be out of place or out of service, out of place in God's will for your life, out of service for His glory, for His benefit. Lost sheep is of no value to the shepherd whatsoever as long as it's lost. It only has value when it's returned. Lost coin has no value to its owner until it's returned. And yet to be saved means that we are back in service or reconciled to God, back to a life with purpose. But now let's look at the seeker. Something that was completely alien in that theology of that day was a seeker God. They did not believe it. They believed if you come to God, you have to literally come on your knees and grovel before Him. But He would not seek you out. You had to seek Him out. But here's the image of a shepherd. This shepherd leaves this flock of 99 going out into the wilderness to seek this one lost sheep. It is the image of the seeker Savior, Jesus Christ, who came into this world through, through obedience. He was willing, Philippians 2, 5 through 11 talks about, he was willing to lay it all aside to enter into this earth in the form of man to seek us out. For the Son of Man, Jesus said, came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so we have this seeker that leaves the flock and, and searches the wilderness high and low because that one sheep is as valuable to him as the other 99. You know, I, you've heard me say this before, but God loves you as much as he has ever loved anybody who has ever lived or ever will live. He loves us all equally. Regardless of what labels we wear, what our social standing is, what our education level is, what our sex, background, cultural standing might be, we are equally loved by the Father to the extent that He was willing to send His only begotten Son into this world to die on the cross for our sins. So here we are. This shepherd that comes out, and I love the image He goes out into the open country, looks after the lost sheep until he finds it. When he finds it, joyfully he puts it back on his shoulders. There you see the strength of this shepherd wrapping this sheep around his shoulders and bringing it home. When he comes home, he can't wait to show the other shepherds, I found him. And they rejoice with him because they've been there as well. The seeker is more trouble than the one being sought. The sheep didn't necessarily know he was lost. Sheep didn't necessarily know he was in trouble. Sheep didn't necessarily know that there was a problem and there was somebody seeking him until he was found. You see, you don't find God. God's not lost. God finds you. God finds me. And that's why it's so valuable that we see this. Until he found it. You see, 
where it says, then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. And then the woman who swept the, the floor, searching carefully until she found it. When she found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. Wow. You want to know what makes God smile? You want to know what makes the angel smile? Then there's the celebration. Look what he says. With the sheep, he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over the sinner who repents. And to the coin, it says, in the same way there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over that one sinner who repents. Well, let's see. I've got the Pharisees over here who are in a condemning spirit. And I've got, the, I've got God and the angels of heaven who are rejoicing over that one sinner who repents. Let's see, which one do I want to join? You know? My problem today with churches, I think, is that there's not more rejoicing going on. You know? You're, sometimes we're, like, like, we're a lot like a bad salesman. It just simply comes to people and said, you wouldn't want this, would you? <laughs> our attitude and our actions betray us. You know, we're, we see too much of the people who are supposed to be joyous, not only over their relationship with Jesus Christ, but over bringing others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And yet they have this, well, I, I'm a Christian. I hope you enjoy what we're doing you know and there's no joy about us but the Bible says just the opposite there is joy in heaven there is joy that rings down the quarters of heaven over that one sinner that repents to repent means literally to change your mind that it results in a change of direction and it is that absolute submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ that a person repents And there's joy because this was God's original intent and purpose. He sought out Adam after Adam sinned. He seeks you and I. And so there's joy. There's rejoicing over that one person. C.S. Lewis said joy is the serious business of heaven. There's joy in the person found because he was lost. The sheep was lost. The coin was lost. Whether they realized it or not, whether they admitted it or not, the reality was, was they were lost. And yet, Jesus found them. And when they were found and were returned to their rightful place, there was rejoicing. Rejoicing that reigned through the quarters of heaven. Now, there was also rejoicing in the person who finds the lost. You know, it is a joy to me to bring somebody into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Mary Jo and I were in Brazil and we were talking to this adult uh, lady and her parents were concerned about her and I won't go through all of her background. But we came to that point where I asked her about her relationship with Jesus Christ. We had several people give testimonies Ask her about her relationship with Jesus. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? She hesitated. 
Would you like to know him as your personal Lord and Savior? And then I led her through the sinner's prayer. And I asked her, do you believe what you just prayed? You honestly believe? Yes. Boy, I tell you what. She said, I'll be there at the services tonight. And she and her dad came. And what a joy that was. And they'll be working with her in the days and weeks and months. But what a thrill it is for our team as we're sitting in that living room and watching the difference in her countenance as we bring her into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's like putting that sheep on your shoulder and bringing it back to the headmaster, Jesus, and saying, that which was lost is now found. And you hear the chorus of the angels in heaven rejoicing over this one who was lost but was now found. And I find it exciting. And I tell you what's really exciting. It it hit me as a youth pastor a long time ago. When, When you lead somebody to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and they turn around and they don't know all this theology, all they know is once I was blind but now I see. And let me tell you who touched me. Because Jesus made sure that he knew that it was the only Son of God who healed him. And they say, I don't know all this stuff, but I can tell you once I was blind, but now I see. And they in turn lead somebody to Jesus Christ. I remember when I was a youth pastor, they would come up and say, hey, let me introduce you to your grandson in the Lord. Never thought about it. That was before I even had kids, and I thought, grandson. Well, you, you brought me into the kingdom of God. Now I turned around and shared Christ with somebody else and they came to know Jesus. You want to see a, a joyous congregation. Brother Ron and I both know this. That when you see the aisles flooded with people who had been led to the Lord during the week or during the previous weeks by church members whose responsibility is to do just that then you find an exciting church, folks. You can't wait to come on Sunday morning to see who's going to come forward. You can't wait to see if that person that you shared Christ with that day, that week, at that meal, at at that department store, or in that neighborhood, or at that club, is going to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, or if they're going to make that decision public. That's exciting. Oh, There's not only joy among the one that was found that was lost, There's joy in the one that found him. And look at what it says here. There's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You want to know what makes angels smile? You know? My favorite Christmas movie, and some of you just probably groan, but I love Jimmy Stewart. It's a wonderful life. Clarence the Angel. Remember... Every time, he said, every time you hear a bell ring, an angel gets its wings. Well, in my mind, the whole time in that movie, I'm thinking, every time you hear a bell ring, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over that one sinner that repents. That bell is the angels peeling out the bells of heaven over that one sinner that repents. Now, the angels, why are they happy? Because... First of all, God's happy. When God's happy, everybody's happy. Creation is happy. So they're happy when God smiles. 
Secondly, they're happy because they know that there's going to be one more person in God's forever family that's going to join them one day. But thirdly, I think we ought to realize that the angels know what people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and are lost for eternity are going to experience in their separation from God. And they also know what God has prepared for those that love Him. So, they're excited because they know what that person has avoided for all eternity and what they will receive for all eternity. And if that doesn't make you smile, I don't know what will. The Bible tells us in Job 38, over the creation of the universe... The Bible says the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. They were excited. God was pleased with what He did. He saw His creation and saw that it was good. And God smiled. And the angels shouted for joy. Then they see us repent and turn away from our sin and turn toward God. And the angels shout for joy because God smiles. Now, it's a party. It ought to be a celebration. It ought to be a party that you and I experience when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We ought to throw a party for people that do the same thing. You know? There is nothing worth partying more than when a person comes to know Jesus Christ as his or her Lord and Savior. And that's what the church ought to be about. Now my question to you is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you come to know Him personally? Is there any question whatsoever in your mind? Do you feel like maybe you've strayed off? Maybe you've nibbled yourself away from the fold? Maybe you need a recommitment tonight? Well, welcome to the party. There's joy in the presence of the angels of heaven over one soul that repents. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I make no assumptions. Tonight is the night to get that cleared away. Clear it up. Tonight is the best time for you to come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well, for all of us, it's an opportunity of repentance. In just a moment after the prayer, I'm going to ask Brother Ron to stand here at the front, and we're going to ask you to stand and sing the hymn of invitation, and it's going to be between you and the Lord Jesus Christ as to what decision you'll make. So let's pray. Our most gracious Father, we just thank you so much for this day that you've given us for this blessing. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for being here with us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your provision, your promises. Thank you so much for seeking us out, Lord Jesus. Religion doesn't do that but you do. Thank you. Father, I praise you, and we love you. Thank you for these decisions being made, Lord Jesus, for those that will be made known, for those that will be made known in the days yet to come. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand as we sing the hymn of invitation. Brother Ron will be here at the front.